This is episode number 89 of Unfolding Words, God Alone Stirs Hearts, Trust Him. My name is Antracia Moorings, and welcome to my weekly podcast where I share biblical truth to offer life for your walk and life for your soul. Thank you so much for tuning in this week. I know you're probably off of your normal schedule because of the coronavirus out here in Southern California. We've been quarantined for the past week, so it has been very interesting to have our schedules all topsy-turvy. So last week, or actually a few days ago, I was reading the scriptures. I wanted to start in Nehemiah, and then I figured I better back up and start in Ezra since they go together. And I started reading, and I could not get past verse number one. I got stuck in verse number one. And so a thought dropped in my heart, and I wanted to share it with you as well. So let me read verses number one and two out of Ezra chapter one. It says in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled. The Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Let me go on. I'm going to read verses three and four as well. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is Jerusalem. Where I got stuck was the word stirred. And this word stirred is from the Hebrew word er. It means to rouse oneself, awake, awaken, to be awakened or stirred up, to act in an aroused manner or just to be awake. So Cyrus being stirred is all the more interesting because of who Cyrus was and because of the prophecy that was given concerning him. So let me give you a little background information to give you some context. So right after Babylon fell around 539 BC, Cyrus, who was the king of Persia, issued this decree that freed the Jews who had been exiled from their homeland for about 70 years. So both Cyrus and the 70 years of captivity were both a fulfillment of prophecies that were given by Isaiah and Jeremiah decades before they actually happened. And Isaiah actually was the one who gave the name of Cyrus as the one who would free God's people. And he did this 200 years prior to Cyrus's birth. And then 200, 200 years later, when Cyrus is reigning on the throne, the Lord stirred up the heart of this heathen or pagan king, which prompted him to act according to God's will. Now, Cyrus lived around 600 through 530 BC, and he ruled an empire that included the ancient Near East, Southwest and Central Asia and the Caucasus, which included an area between the Black Sea and the Caspian Sea. So the big deal with Cyrus is that he founded Persia by bringing together two original Iranian tribes, the Medes and the Persians. And he was known to be one of the greatest conquerors of all time. 
and he controlled one of the greatest empires that the world had ever seen. But he's best remembered for his leadership style because he was both tolerant and generous with regard to those that he defeated. Many conquerors at that time would require those that they defeated to assimilate to their culture and to line up with them. Cyrus was very much the opposite. When he conquered Babylon, the Jews actually praised him and viewed him as a liberator because he let the Jews return to the promised land, the land that God had given to them. He also allowed there to be a great freedom and expression of their religious beliefs and their cultural traditions. This was very much opposite to how all the other kingdoms dealt with their enemies. And this was this wasn't just the case for the Jewish people, but for all the races that Cyrus conquered. And these qualities earned him the respect of everyone that he ruled over. And the interesting thing about Cyrus is that about 160 years before he was born, like I said, Isaiah declared that God would raise up this man his shepherd, to rebuild his city, even though at the time of Isaiah, Jerusalem was prospering and would not be destroyed for another hundred years by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. The Lord's prophecy begins at Isaiah 44, chapter 28, and it says, Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying to Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid." So God chose Cyrus, a foreign ruler, to set God's people free. Notice all the terms used to describe Cyrus. He's a shepherd. He's anointed. And the shepherd was a word that was often used as a metaphor for the king in this ancient world, for the, for the Jews. And from the beginning, Israel's kings were supposed to be shepherds. They were supposed to serve as shepherds for the people, to lead, to guide, and to protect them. They served as sort of under shepherds to the greatest king, who was God himself. But God gave this foreigner, Cyrus, his own title, which was shepherd. And he gave Cyrus his own work to do, which was to lead, guide, and protect. Very interesting. And an even more interesting fact is that Cyrus is named God's anointed, that is God's Messiah in Hebrew. And this was only designated for priests, the priests of Israel and prophets. Those are the ones who be called God's anointed. But the first one who was considered God's anointed was the king. The king was anointed with oil in a ceremony. And it was sort of a rite of ordination to mark him as the one who served Israel as the one who was ruling in God's stead. We see this in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 9. And then later on, this term anointed took on stronger significance to designate the coming king, the son of David, who would bring in God's eternal kingdom. This was Jesus Christ himself. So how in the world could Cyrus be God's anointed. It was because he was called by God to do God's work, to free captives and open doors, just like God's servant, Israel. Cyrus was set apart to do God's work, and he did it willingly. And that's what anointed means. It simply means set apart to do God's work. 
Now, he's so opposite of Pharaoh who kicked against God's purpose. Remember when God said, let my people go, but Pharaoh time and time again would not. But we see Cyrus here getting direction from the Lord, the Lord stirring his heart and him doing everything possible to make that happen. God will choose whoever he wants to do his work. So this liberation and this salvation that God granted were his primary concerns for his people. And God, as only he can, will go beyond all human limits to get that work done. Now, a lot of those in Israel found this out of the norm and they weren't really down with it. And they call God's choice into question. But God insists on freedom to do whatever it takes to set his people free. Whatever he needs to do, he'll do it, even if it means coloring outside the line, so to speak. So let me read Isaiah 45, 9 through 14. It says, Woe to him who strives with him who formed him, a pot among earthen pots. Does the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making or Your work has no handles. Woe to him who says to a father, what are you begetting? Or to a woman, with what are you in labor? Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, and the one who formed him. Ask me of things to come. Will you command me concerning my children and the work of my hands? I made the earth and created man on it. It was my hands that stretched out the heavens, and I commanded all their host. I have stirred him up in righteousness and I will make all his ways level. He shall build my city and set my exiles free, not for a price or reward, says the Lord of hosts. So this is a prophecy that was given concerning Cyrus. So Lord is basically saying, I do what I please. I use whoever I want to use, and I am going to use Cyrus to free my people, to build the temple back up, and to restore worship in my city. And then the rest of Ezra chapter one builds upon this decree that Cyrus gave. Just as God stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, the king of Persia, in verse one, he also stirred up the Jews to return. We see this in verse number six. And just as Cyrus decreed that the Jews could return to Jerusalem to rebuild the house of God, the God of Israel, so God stirred up all the hearts of those who returned to go up to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. Verse number five. And just as Cyrus decreed that those who returned be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts besides free will offerings. So all who were about them aided them with vessels of silver and gold, with goods, with beasts and with costly wars besides all that was freely offered. So it's clear that God is the one doing the work of stirring. He stirred up the hearts of those that returned, just as he was stirring up the heart of Cyrus to allow those to return to work. And another thing that Cyrus did is that he returned the vessels that Nebuchadnezzar took out of God's house. So in verse 11, we have this passive voice that said that the exiles were brought up from Babylonia to Jerusalem. This points to God's providence. Who brought the exiles up from Babylon to Jerusalem? God alone did it, even though he used a man to bring it about. And one thing that is key is that Cyrus put his decree in writing. This writing was recorded in 2 Chronicles 36 verses 22 through 23, and they existed in documents that were discovered by archaeologists later on, pointing to the fact that this history actually took place. 
And the same Hebrew word that is used for Cyrus bringing out those temple vessels and Nebuchadnezzar carrying them away from Jerusalem are the same Hebrew words. So we see this wordplay that is spotlighting Cyrus's action, which is a reversal of the exile that happened. So it reverses everything that King Nebuchadnezzar did when he took them into exile and made them assimilate. Cyrus sets them free and lets them go back to their religion, to their cultural traditions, and back to their God, undoing everything that King Nebuchadnezzar did. The Babylonian kings took the idols and everything from the temples of the conquered people and put them in their Babylonian temples. And then Cyrus restored these images back to their temples. God is such a restorer. Don't you see that here? So Cyrus was known to be a kind and a generous ruler, but it was God who stirred his heart, which in turn moved him to action. So when God stirs hearts, there's always going to be a corresponding action with it. It's never just a stirring of the heart. There's always going to be some movement and some action and a response to that. God can stir the hearts of those that we least expect. And when God does it, it's a complete work. And his aim is always to bless his people and to restore them. So we see by everything that Cyrus did that he was a tool fit for the master's use, even though it was believed that he was not a follower of the Israelites, true and living God, Yahweh. The Persians did have a religion of their own based on monotheism called Zoroastrianism. And the Zoroastrian god, Ahura Mazda, was known to be a god who embodied goodness and wisdom. But their god still wasn't the true and living god. Even though this is the case, God still used Cyrus. Second Timothy 2 and 20 says, Now in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So we see this in the case of Cyrus. He allowed God's work to be done through him. He didn't stop the work and the flow of God. When God stirred his heart, he went with it. He did not allow his beliefs or the fact that he was the ruler of Persia to stop the work of God. So God was able to use him as a tool in his hand. Bible commentator Walter Adney says this of the return of the precious vessels back to God's house. They show that the generosity of Cyrus in restoring so great a hoard was genuine and considerable. It might have been urged that after the treasures had been lying for two, for two generations in a heathen temple, the original owners had lost all claim upon them. It might have been said that they had been contaminated by this long residence among the abominations of Babylonian idolatry. The restoration of them swept away all such ideas. So they were holy items to God, even while they existed in the Babylonian temple. And God restored their honor when they were brought back to their rightful place. So maybe you've been praying for God to stir up change through someone who you think can make a change. Maybe God has something altogether in mind that you need to consider, whether it's your baby daddy, your hard to deal with boss or coworker or a difficult neighbor. 
God can stir their hearts to action that will aid in blessings and restoration for you. But how did God stir up the heart of Cyrus without stepping on his toes and infringing on his free will? The answer to that is that that's God's business. But much of it had to do with how God still works today through his people and his word. Cyrus was able to see with his own eyes how God's word was fulfilled. He was a living witness of it. So these prophecies were well known. And it said that Persian kings paid a lot of attention to prophecies, whether they came from their gods or gods of another religion. So Cyrus knew of these prophecies concerning him. And then he saw them come into fruition. This was enough to give him enough trust to believe that this God, the God of the Israelites, was a true God. Cyrus was stirred up after God's word was declared and heard. And after Peter's sermon in Acts chapter two, the people's response was, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Their hearts were stirred to action by what they heard and saw. Same thing with Cyrus. His heart was stirred to action because he heard the word of the Lord. He heard the prophecies that had gone forth. And hearts around us can be stirred the same way by declaring God's word and by living it out. And the fact that Cyrus recognized God as Yahweh is consistent with the policy of their religion that using the title of God or gods, which was recognized by the local people, but it didn't mean that they were converted to those religions themselves. Cyrus still worshipped Ahura Mazda, which was the god of his religion. But despite this, Proverbs 21 and 1 stands true. It says, the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. So he can turn your boss's heart, your baby mama's heart, your baby daddy's heart and ex's heart, your neighbor's heart, that difficult person's heart for his purpose. You just have to trust his good plan. God has a way of taking treasures that we thought would never return to us, and he restores them just like he did for the nation of Israel. Your blessing can come in the most unlikeliest of ways from the most unlikely source. God opened a donkey's eyes to see the angel of the Lord and opened his mouth to speak to the prophet Balaam in Numbers 22. And since this is the case, surely he can stir the heart of the person you love or don't love, but want to see a change in. Just trust God, pray for him to stir hearts, live the word, speak the word, proclaim the word, and trust God. That's it for this episode of Unfolding Words. I pray that you were encouraged by this and that you'll go and study more on your own out of Ezra chapter one. I will see you back here next week with another good word as we unfold the word of God. Until then, may God's word be a lamp to your feet and a light to your path. God bless you.